Um, I guess I want to talk about something today. The Lord, you know, when, you, when you're asked to speak on, on something or, or have an opportunity to speak, you generally think, well, what am I going to speak on, you know? And, and naturally, I progress back to the things that I happen to be studying or reading or going through at the time. So it only made sense to top, talk about a subject matter that's sort of been on my heart lately. And, and I want to start by asking a couple of questions. I, I already know the answer to the first one, which is, if you had to number your days and say, well, how many days do I have left here on this earth? Could you answer that question? Obviously, we, we couldn't. We would have to look at that and say, well, I could look at averages, and we'll do that later on towards the end. But the reality is we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know, do, do we have two more years? Do I have 10 more years? Perhaps I have maybe 20 more years to live on this earth. Some of you that are younger might be looking at as much as 80 years left uh, uh, to live. Um, but I, I guess if you were to find out tomorrow that you had only maybe a year or two to live, that would probably impact what you did, things you, what places you would go, people you would visit. Um, the country singer Tim McGraw, you know, he gives us his answer in his song. He says, uh, I would go skydiving, I'd go Rocky Mountain climbing, I'd go... Uh, let's see, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. These are the things that, that Tim McGraw, you know, values. He said, you know, and, and I would love deeper and I would, I would give that forgiveness that I've been denying so that it, hopefully you get to live like you're dying. And, the, and that's his, one of his songs. And so we see that obviously Tim McGraw would make some changes if he was faced with the reality that he was going to die uh, in a matter of months or, or years. Uh, but I think it's a fair question. A lot of questions would come into your mind. Would you take that trip? Would you finish that project that's always been out there? Would you have that discussion with your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad or your coworker that you've been putting off? Would you finally make the big decision that you've been wrestling with? Would you interact with your loved ones differently? Would you offer up more compassion and grace uh, in times of, of turmoil? Would you take more time to spend with those people that you hold dear? Uh, would you put forth effort maybe to reconcile a, a relationship that you knew all along has been struggling and, and you felt the Lord had moved on you, but you had never really acted, so now it's time? Uh, would you finally maybe be willing to share your faith with that person at work that uh, the Lord's laid on your heart that you never, never felt really good about doing that with? Uh, so, you know, you think through those things, and those are realities. We have a, a certain number of days on the earth, and these questions are good to ponder through. Uh, and really, regardless of whether it's two years, 20 years, 70 years, possibly 80 years, our physical lives on this earth, as we know them here, within this body, will come to an end. That is reality. Uh, and it must be understood to make the most of the time that the Lord's given to us. Uh, so that when we get to the end and we turn back and we look, what did I do? How did I leave my, leave my, lead my life? What did I do for the Lord? How did I interact with the people the Lord put in my life? Um, we don't want to look back and see an aimless, reckless, care, careless life. We want to look back and say, I lived my life to the fullest extent that I knew how, given the spirit, the word, daily taking into mind these things, that the, the, the brevity of life is a reality. Moses pondered these things, and he wrote in a song that the Israelites would actually sing, and he said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into dust, and you say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Thou hast swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew, and in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew, but towards the evening it fades and withers away. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years 
or if due to strength, possibly 80. Sounds like he's thinking through the same things I'm thinking through. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. And then he gets to a concluding remark. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you, God, a heart of wisdom. And we see this connection between the idea of numbering our days, realizing the brevity of life with the idea of obtaining and presenting before the Father wisdom, a heart of wisdom. And I want to look at this idea of wisdom today, this word for wisdom. How does the scripture use it? What does the Old Testament have to say about the New Testament as well? The Hebrew word for wisdom is the word chokmah. And in the Old Testament, it's used predominantly three different ways. It's a little bit broader than just the way maybe we would use English word wisdom. But anyway, we'll look at a couple of these. First, a person is said to be wise or possesses wisdom in a technical sense. It could be used in the scriptures. We see it of a sailor, a goldsmith, a seamstress, uh, an artisan. We see it in Exodus 35.10. And let every skillful man, skillful, hokma, wise man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets. Also 35, 25 of the same chapter there, the the 25th verse, he says, and all the skilled or wise, hokma-filled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun, blue and purple, scarlet material and fine linen. So the idea of a person with a technical ability, that's one of the uses of this word hokma or wisdom. Another use we see in the scriptures is someone that has an administrative ability, an administrative ability to lead a group of people. And and there are a couple different examples. One, we see it in Genesis 41. And now let Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise. He has the characteristic of, uh, he has chokmah, he has wisdom. Um, And set him over the land of Egypt. Put him in an administrative role. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and so wise as you. He had this idea of chokmah, is this sense, this ability to lead people. God had given it to him. We see it in Deuteronomy when they're setting up leaders of the tribes of Israel. Same statement in Deuteronomy. And the third third sort of use that we find is used of a person or a sense of ability to live life with skill skillful living. And that's actually the emphasis that I want to look at today. Um, When we look at this idea of hokma and the idea of skill for living, it would be like the idea of of, of living life with such skill. And I think we should broaden the perspective here. This isn't just skill for how I study the Bible. This isn't just skill and wisdom in God's word. We'll talk about God's word and how it's involved in this process. But I'm talking about skill for how to build the home, skill for how to go about your job, skill for uh, how to go about your marriage, uh, church, uh, work, money, time, possessions. When we go buy something, do you need skill to to discernment to know what to get? I think you do. Um, and this idea of skill for living is there's a book in the Bible that focuses almost predominantly all on that subject matter. If you want to live life with skill, you want to know what directions, how to navigate through things, whether you're young or old, there's a book in the Bible that just nails it from the beginning to the end. 50 times it mentions hokma, hokma, hokma. Here's how you get it. Here's what you do. Here's how you pursue it. Here's what the Lord, how the Lord's involved in this. Uh, and that book is the book of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon starts, you don't even have to get within even the, the second verse. He's already hitting on hokma. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Here's the purpose of the book. To know wisdom, to know hokma and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, hokma-like behavior, righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. He goes on, he says, the wise man who hears it, he'll just gain more. If you already have some of this in your back pocket, guess what? You'll read this and you'll gain more, he says. 
so the, we, we see this in the book of Proverbs, and I want to sort of home in on, on Proverbs here today because it is, it's a fascinating look as we look at how Solomon, moved by the Lord, uses this idea of wisdom. Uh, and the reality is, is we must get it. We must go out and get it if we are to live well. And I think you'll see it as we look through this, why I say that. It takes us going out and doing some things to, to get it. Uh, very fascinating aspects as we, as we dive into it. I want to look at those questions. How do we get it? What should our attitude be towards it? Uh, what does it provide for us as we go forth? And one of the first questions I want to say is, where does it come from? Can we trace its origins? Is this just a man-made thing? Is this just man's wisdom? Well, let's find out. Job, one of the other wisdom books of the Bible, says, Job speaking, says, but where can wisdom be found? Job 28, 12. And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Interesting. Man doesn't even understand the value of this thing that we're about to talk about. Nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed out as a price. It cannot be valued in gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So, Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. And here's a key point. God understands its ways and he knows its place. Job understood where the source was ultimately. Man may totally miss it. God is the, is the originator. Proverbs has a great line. Wisdom personified speaking. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord possessed me, Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills... I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. That's wisdom speaking. And I think we have to see a key point. Perfect wisdom, perfect skill for living has only one source and one origin, and it's not man. It's God alone. We can debate about that, but the reality is is that even the New Testament nails this exact issue of where, how do we compare God's wisdom, this idea of perfect wisdom versus man's. Corinthians says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. That's the idea we see that contrasts man's wisdom with God's. And, and in the case of Proverbs, we're talking about God's wisdom, perfect wisdom coming from God. So we see the idea that clearly the Lord possesses wisdom. But you'd say, well, but we have a problem. Then if he possesses it, how do we get it? Well, that's a good question. Is he ever going, does he reveal it in any way? Has he made it available in any way? Those are good questions. And I like, this is the second point I want to hit on. Uh, Proverbs 2 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. He gives skill for living. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So you got to see that the Lord is in the business of giving out wisdom. In fact, Proverbs actually comes out in chapter 1 says, Wisdom shouts out in the streets. It shouts. The Lord is loud with his wisdom. And yet man so often chooses to ignore. Uh, But we see here the idea that from his mouth, from his word, we've got a lot of his words. We've got a lot of words. These are his words to us. And he sent his son to give us these things and to give us his word. He was the word and he was with the father. We know these things 
that we should dive in to see he's spoken plenty of wisdom for us to hear. Um, so you, you say a key point, he gives wisdom. James makes that all the more clear too. He who lacks wisdom, ask for it. Uh, seek it out. Uh, so we see that. So we have a key point that he gives wisdom and he's revealed wisdom through his mouth, through his word is his predominant mechanism of revealing wisdom and skill for living. We've got it. Oh, how we handle it is a different story, but I've got a lot, a lot of hokma right here in my hand. Um, so you say, well, a, another key point I want to hit on here is what is the effort? You, you might be saying, Sounds pretty good so far. God has it. He owns the, he's got the corner on the market here. And great news for us. He, he doles it out. He shouts in the street. I can just sit back and, and we're all good to go, right? This is where the road in Proverbs that takes a whole different turn. Um, you say, well, what, what is required then to obtain it? Are we, do we do anything? What, what's our responsibility to, to this, I, this pursuit. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her wisdom as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And discover the knowledge of God. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. If you thought God was the only part, part of the equation here, we thought wrong. Because this guy basically says, look, look at all the if statements. It's chocked full of if statements. If you receive my sayings, there's an option there. You can choose to ignore the sayings or you can choose to receive them. That takes us to figure out what are the sayings. Um, <clears throat> if you treasure my commands, there's a lot of things that can become in our eyes, our treasures, what we're wandering after. Are you going to treasure the commands and the instruction that wisdom gives from that God gives through his word. If you make your ear attentive, this is a tough one. You, you may think, oh, that's it. We, we can read right over that one. Proverbs, he says over and over and over, make your ear attentive. Listen well to what I'm about to say. Make your ear, incline your ear to me. It's a lot easier for me to be called by Kevin and say, you got to teach something. You got to see, are you available to teach? I'm going to obviously spend a lot of time, right? And I got to spend, you know, Lord willing, I'll take time. I'll read through a lot of stuff. But sitting out there right now, you could be thinking of all kinds of different things. You could be thinking, I wonder what's going to happen in the game later today. You could be thinking, uh, what am I going to be eating for lunch? Who are we, what do we have to do later today? Are you inclining your ear? It's actually very hard in life at times to really listen and listen extraordinarily well. And so this call of listening well is a big one. Uh, incline your heart or your mind. You have to choose in your heart. You have, you, you, what you set your heart and mind on is a big deal. Uh, he says, incline your heart. Uh, if you cry out, now we're talking about crying out for this thing. You've got to ask. You've got to cry out uh, for this thing. You've got to seek it like silver. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, I asked my kids the other night, I said, if, if you had a, a, a large mother load of gold in the backyard, a hidden treasure, would you go out? If you knew it was there, would you go out and, and start digging? Even now, 10 o'clock at night, would you go out and begin? If you had a, had a $1 billion treasure, would you go for it? We'll find out what Proverbs says to compare gold with, with, with hokmah. He'll put it side by side. Solomon does. The Lord does. Um, 
And if you had a hidden treasure amount that led you to $1 billion, I'm talking about a real one now, one that you really knew, this leads to $1 billion U.S. dollars. It's over in the jungles of the Congo. Are you going to go? You guys probably would. You're not that far away. You just get, you get up and say, yeah, we're, 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 it's in our backyard. What we're going go, to go dig for. You would go. You got to seek for it like a hidden treasure. Um, so you got to see that this pursuit of Hokma requires tremendous effort. Um, which brings me to another point. How are we to value this? You're hearing me say of gold and silver and treasures. And I just want to make sure we hit on this, that it's a choice as to how we value it. Are we going to value this wisdom or not? There's plenty of other things in life to value. There's tons of stuff the evil one and the world and our flesh will want to value. The question is, do you value God's wisdom as revealed in his word? How much do you value it? How, how much do you value it? Proverbs, he says, speaking to his son, take my instruction and not silver. And take my knowledge rather than the choicest gold. I'm talking about that what man holds as the highest level of value. Choose wisdom over that. Set that stuff aside in light of wisdom. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, Solomon says, and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. You have a choice. Pursue silver. Pursue homes. Pursue cars. Pursue great jobs that rise you to the top of the, top of the ladder that you paid the, the, the six figures. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but... He basically says here, if you're going to compare the pursuit of wisdom and skill for living to those things, it's a pretty clear choice. And I'm telling you, he's telling his son on this, choose the right one. It's worth far more than any of these other things. Um, He says in Proverbs 7, um, a, a very striking statement. He says, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Sounds familiar. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend. Think about the magnitude of these statements. These are large statements. What is the apple of your eye? What is the apple of your eye? Is it God's wisdom as revealed in his word? Is that the apple of your eye? Do you write his word on the tablet of your heart? How do you even do that? Is that easy to do? I think it takes some work. That takes some thought and work to do these things. Uh, And then can you turn to wisdom and say you're so close with the idea of God's skill for living this life that you say, she's like a sister. I'm this close. It's like a a sister relationship. I'm embracing her. I'm, I'm, I'm loving her like she's a sister. Can we say these things? This is what Solomon says to his son that I have no doubt he learned from somewhere. We'll look at that in a second. Um, obviously from the Lord and and from his father. But these admonitions are not easy, especially in a culture that doesn't value what I'm talking about. Does our culture value these things? First off, we just read in Job, man, it just flat out says it in God's word, man doesn't value it, doesn't know its value. So don't, don't kid yourself, you know, on that one. We know man does not value what we're talking about here. And yet you can see the value as Solomon wants his son to see it in that light. If I was to go out and pull the Americans and I said, what's the apple of your eye? I would be hard pressed to find hardly anyone that would say the Lord's commandments, his statute, the statutes of Yahweh are the apple of my eye. I would be a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the number of people that would actually say, yeah, I, that is, I've read Proverbs 7 and I've made it the apple. That takes work. It's hard. Um, 
Then you look on and you say, well, you know, this is getting a little tough, Joel. This is, uh, this is pretty intense stuff. Well, he goes on. You say, well, what's the level of magnitude of this pursuit? You know, is this, a, is this a thing we do it once and we pour into it? We do a study on it. Maybe we'll do a Bible study. By the way, we're finishing up Jonah in the next few weeks. And no doubt the next book is going to be Proverbs. So we're going to dive into it. But the reality is, is that a one-time Bible study on the book of Proverbs, while that's great and, and very good, this is a lifelong type of pursuit. Uh, in Proverbs 4, he says, acquire wisdom, verse 5, acquire wisdom, exclamation point. Acquire understanding, exclamation point. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is, colon, acquire wisdom. <laughs> acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. With your acquiring, everything that you acquire, when you acquire a house, get understanding. When you acquire a car, get understanding. When you go out to acquire and get a job, gain understanding. Get hokma on this subject matter. Acquire, it takes an acquisition process. Uh, you know, there are a few things in life that we pursue with everything we have. If I was talking to my son and he's got a bad grade in a class, it's probably not too hard to guess where the problem comes in. I could say, are you really giving everything that you have, all that you have, to get that A? Probably not. I mean, how many times? I, we, I've got a project. Am I, am I working hard to finish the things I've started? That's also addressed in Proverbs. I've got a project sitting right now in my garage that some of you have seen. And it's been sitting there for at least 10 years. <laughs> people, people laughing. People laughing. But the reality is when you read this stuff, it convicts you. It forces you to face the reality of the portrait of the sluggard. The portrait of the procrastinator. The portrait of the guy that was a fool. And you say, have I ever done that? Sitting in the garage. <laughs> no paint on it. No wheels on it. The axle's still not on it. The suspension's still waiting to be put on it. I mean, this takes... You, you've got to work at this stuff. And you've got to pursue this, putting all your effort into gaining what the Lord wants for our lives and this presenting a heart of wisdom to him. Uh, he even talks about expenditure of resources in Proverbs 23, 23. It says, it just flat out in the Hebrew, buy it, buy truth, and don't sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Is he, it, we already know from Job, you can't buy it with money, Right? So he's obviously not talking about monetarily, you're not going to buy it. But what he's saying, expend resources. Be willing to make an expenditure to gain this thing called hokma, this wisdom and truth. So a key point is we've got to pursue uh, God's wisdom and instruction and his skill for living with an utmost diligence. This is not a secondary task. Uh, now you say another question I would ask is what are the prerequisites or fundamental attitudes that as we approach this endeavor? Because there are some. There are some prerequisites that you need to understand. Uh, it is impossible to gain wisdom without an element of submission. And we find this in the Proverbs. It's in the motto of the whole book. It's chock full of it as well through and through. Chapter 1, chapter 9, chapter 15. That is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The Hebrew word, a prerequisite of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, so this idea that we have to be willing to fear the Lord. Bow the knee. Bow the knee to what the Lord's telling us through his word. Submit to what he is telling us to do in his word. Because guess what? You can pursue this thing and you will find gems. But if you don't have a heart of submission, it's gone. 
you won't pay attention to what it has to say. And we're going to look at a case in, case in point in the study on that issue here at the end. But you have to fear the Lord uh, and have a, a heart of submission. Uh, Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction, which is a word for discipline, for wisdom. And before honor comes humility, humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves. We're going to, when I read Proverbs, I'm, I'll be honest, like I just stated with my example of the, my old 240Z sitting in the garage. Some of you are probably wondering what kind of car it was. That's it. I, know how, I know how the year works. You're listening. I wonder what car that's the, what you, the whole, but that wasn't my point. But the, the issue is that we have to be able to submit. When you come along and you find a convicting gem of truth, and it happens, and it'll hit you right in the, at the Lord's right on you on this. And you hear it, and you know it. The question is, are you going to bow the knee to the Lord? Are you going to submit to his wisdom? Are you going to submit to that skillful instruction? Because that's a big question. Uh, we dig and we dig. We're, so, we're called to be like miners searching for silver and gold in the word, to mine it, to dig deep into the word. Hours of study. Pour into it, Solomon's after. Dig in like it's silver. Guys that go mine silver and gold, I've watched it on the Discovery Channel. I've never done it, but I've watched it. And I see them dig and dig. And they, I remember one whole season of the, one of those shows, they come a little vial of gold about that much. They spent an entire sea ups and downs and all kinds of issues and problems and this thing broke and that thing broke. And you know the way reality shows are. I'm yelling at you. You're yelling at me. We're about to have a major feud. And it gets all to the end and it's all after this little bit of gold. Solomon says, that's the way you approach this hokma wisdom from the Lord. His word. You search it out. You mine it out. You dig deep. And guess what though? When you find it, You've got to be willing to submit. You've got to be willing to bow the knee. And you say, well, that, that's all pretty hard stuff. And I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, it even gets harder. Because we've got to see that to, to get this wisdom, we have to be willing to submit and, and almost, in a, in a sense, enroll in his school. His school is reproof. 101. Discipline 102. You better be ready for it. He says, it's coming at you. And I think we can all attest. We know what it's like as we've walked with the Lord. But in Proverbs 3, and it's quoted by the author, the writer of Hebrews. This is a New Testament and Old Testament uh, statement here. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe and hate and spurn his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he will reprove. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver. So God's process in moving us towards his wisdom involves loving discipline. Uh, now, this word for reproof is an interesting one. I, I find it interesting to study. This is the kind of thing, you have to mine things out. You've got to dig in a little deep. What is the word for reproof? I don't use it a whole lot. I don't go to my guys at work and say, I've got to reprove you on something. It's not something I use very often. What is the word reproof? We, we have, initially, I would definitely think negatively when I think reproof. But what we find in the scriptures is it's actually a Hebrew word for an argument. And again, that also, English-wise, brings us to it a negative connotation. Oh, it's an argument. It's a, it's a yelling match or a fight. We're going to have a big time argument. But I want you to think of it as, as a, someone making a case. We see it in Job. Job says this after all that he's gone through. He's, he's fed up. He says, I wish I could go before the Lord. I would present my case before him and I would fill my mouth with arguments. That's the same word. Reproofs. I would fill my mouth with arguments. Uh, have you ever considered that the Lord wants to sit you down and say, I'd like to have a conversation, just you and me? And here's how it's going to work. I'm going to tell you my argument, my case, my points, my wisdom for your life. You, on the other hand, you have to be willing to listen. Now, is that always the funnest thing? 
Is it fun for someone to come in and say, you know, Joel, you did that wrong over there. And I want to make my case on that. Listen to my argument. Listen to my case. That can be hard. We as humans, we're not prone to enjoy that kind of, where we just have to face an argument from our father or a case or his point. But that's actually what it says in Proverbs. We have to submit to his class of reproof. Uh, this is critical to us to see because we, we don't, we're not, we, as people, we don't generally like this. Proverbs fifteen thirty one is a great one. He says, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof, the life-giving arguments, the life-giving points that I am speaking in wisdom will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Again, if you truly pay attention, incline your ear, be willing to sit down with the Lord. I'm willing to listen to your points. I'm willing to listen to your arguments. I'm willing to listen to what your word has to say on this subject matter that I'm struggling with. And I probably have it wrong. And I'm willing to submit to that. Guess what? He says, that's life-giving. You gain life through that. But those who don't, it's a sad picture. It's a very tragic picture for those who do not like the Discipline 101 or the Reproof 101 and Discipline 102. It's tragic. In fact, in Proverbs 1, wisdom speaking says, because I called, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel. And here's a good one. And you did not want my reproof. You didn't want to listen to my argument for your life then I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, wisdom says. I've tried. If you're unwilling to listen, it's tragic. Um, again, Proverbs 5 hits on this one as well. And I, this is where I go back to my first illustration of looking back on our lives. It says this. It's, he's talking to his son. He's saying, if you listen to this wisdom, if you follow this, you stay away from the door of the adulterous woman. You stay away from her seductive ways. It'll go well and you'll, you'll be free of that. But guess what? If you go down that road and you don't listen to this case that I'm making before you, because the world will tell you that's a great road to go down. Just go down. Just do it tonight. Just do whatever you want tonight. It's all, it's all okay. It just, it'll, all, it'll feel great and pleasurable. It's the greatest thing. But he says, guess what will happen? When you groan at your latter end, when you do get to that end day that we sang about, and Gary said, when I reach the end, and my flesh and my body are consumed, and you groan because you look back, and you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. This reproof 101, I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted nothing to do to hear with God's arguments in my life. I spurned it. He says, you'll groan when you get to the end. You'll groan when you look back and you realize you've hated this, the, the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever, now, oh yeah, this is a, one, a good one. You think right now, we're all sitting here, we're thinking, well, this is tough. This is re getting even tougher by the second. And I'll just have to endure it, right? I just have to make it through this class. Get to the other side and I'll be okay. Well, he comes along and says, not only do you make it through, you've got to love this class. You've got to actually love discipline. How many people can say, I love discipline. Bring it on. I'm, I, just, I just love it. He says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or the arguments that wisdom has to make or the, or the case that the Lord wants to make in your life, this is a tough word, is stupid. That's a word of use of an animal. Can I reason with my dog and say, you know, Conroy, your eating habits just aren't the best. I want to give you my case for why you should consider eating some different dietary elements to help you with your allergies. Will he listen to any of that? No, he's animal-like, right? He's like a beast. This word in Psalm 73 is of a beast. That's the person who spurns the reproof of the Lord. Is like an unreasoning animal. 
they're unwilling to listen. So guess what you have to do to your dog to get him to change? You've got to do, you've got to take some pretty tough action. So we see this is a, uh, this is a big issue. Um, but we know in the end it grieves great things for us uh, because in the end it yields, according to Hebrews, the peaceful fruits of righteousness, right living in our lives. Uh, and that brings me to my, my last point here. What are the resulting attitudes and actions when wisdom is valued? What does it result in our actions, our attitudes, our minds? This is a couple of things I was thinking. If you've been acting somewhat foolishly in certain areas of life, guess what? Wisdom, if sought and found and submitted to, can correct that. If you've been complacent or lazy towards certain things in life, wisdom, if sought and found and submitted to, can correct that. If you're struggling with issues of temptation, perhaps sexual sins, wisdom, if sought and found, can provide protection. If you're wondering why to, to say in a certain situation or decide or make a decision, you're deciding, trying to figure out what, what should I do, what should I say, what decision should I make, wisdom, skill for living from the Lord, if sought diligently and found and submitted to gives you the answer. Um, as, as, as an example of that, I just want to throw out one proverb for you. This is a good one. I, I keep going back to it, as you can tell. But let's say I'm struggling with, with complacency and laziness. So I mine deep into the Lord's word to find wisdom on this subject matter. It, it's going to give it. And he just says out, right out. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. Observer, gain skill in this area. Which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Just a little sleep. Just a little bit more sleep. Just a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. I want to watch my favorite TV show today. I don't want to go work on the 240Z. And your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, if you were a procrastinator, and you mined into that wisdom, and you found it, and you heard it, and you submitted to it, and you followed it, do you think it makes differences in your actions? You bet it does. It changes the way you act and the way you think. And skill for living in Proverbs is chocked full of these applications. The fool is addressed. The naive is addressed. The sluggard is addressed. The adulterous woman, the strange woman, the ideal woman is presented. It's all in there. We don't have time to go into any further examples on that, but I'll just, as my last quote from Proverbs, well, maybe not, but anyway, a last good quote that I'll say, God's wisdom provides discernment, protection, direction, and peace, all kinds of things. Look at chapter 2. And what he's done for us, if you, if you search this out. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for his hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course or direction in life. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. All kinds of benefits if we simply Submit, search, mine it out, and follow it. Now, I just want to close with this last couple of things here. This is, this is actually a big issue. Some people are sitting here, and they may be poking holes and things. And they, Well, you know, I have Christ, and I have the Spirit, and he's done it all. And I say amen to that. And when I read about all, they might, you might be thinking, when I read about all this work and effort and, and submission and reproof and discipline and, and it's tough and it's getting tougher and I've got to love this stuff and it's, it seems really hard. And you'd say, 
this is more like for maybe for the person that's wandered way astray. Perhaps the unbeliever. That's what this is for. This is just for the unbeliever. This isn't for us. Well, I'm here to tell you that the guy who wrote this book He didn't get the job done. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about Solomon. If you want to say, consider the child of God who wrote the words that I just read. Almost every word that I just read in this sermon was written by a guy that at the end of his life, it was tragic. It was a catastrophe when he looked back. You say, well, how does that happen? How does it happen when a guy who started out early in life with such great wisdom taught by his dad, how does he end up? Well, I have a, a, an acquaintance that we've met at a Christian camp in Colorado. His name's Matt McGee. He's an Air Force Academy graduate, a former Air Force pilot, and he explained it this way in his book about Solomon's fall. Solomon experienced what I call spiritual hypoxia. Hypoxia is a medical condition described of a lack of oxygen to the brain. When someone experiences hypoxia, they may have a variety of symptoms without being able to recognize what is happening. The term is significant in aviation because it can be a silent killer. If a pilot experiences the initial stages of hypoxia and does nothing about it, he or she may eventually pass out. And landing an airplane is pretty difficult if you are unconscious. In the early stages of hypoxia, a pilot might notice tingling lips or hands, a mild dizziness or a slight change in the color they see. In the next stage, they might experience a lack of coordination, muscle fatigue, a feeling of euphoria. If the hypoxia continues, the pilot will suffer poor judgment, a lack of awareness, and a loss of consciousness as the brain is starved of oxygen. Solomon's hypoxia was rooted in this one mistake— He adopted the affections of his culture. Even after dramatic encounters with God and tremendous blessings, Solomon began to love what the world loved around him. He began to value what the culture valued. The symptoms of his spiritual hypoxia were his desire for women, fame, material things, the pleasures of this world. He never noticed the initial symptoms of his spiritual hypoxia, I imagine it would have been exceptionally difficult for anyone to notice when the whole world was idolizing your wisdom. The symptoms became increasingly visible as the number of wives and chariots grew, but Solomon stayed the destructive course. Spiritual hypoxia, the initial faint yet gradually deepening love of the things of the world and adoption of our culture's values is the greatest threat to those aiming for the kingdom of God. Spiritual hypoxia has insidiously shipwrecked the lives of countless people. Solomon forgot the affection towards God's wisdom. He forgot it. He knew that you had to love this stuff, and he did it early on, but it was replaced with a love for something else, the love of the things of the world. And he says in Proverbs 4, 3, when I was a son to my father, this is Solomon speaking, when I was a son to my father, David, tender and the only in the sight of my mother. And he taught me, my dad taught me these things. He pulled me aside and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. I liked one translation that said, keep these things in the center, focal point of your heart, David said to Solomon. Unfortunately, he didn't. And it's sad to see the, the results. May we realize that the pursuit of his wisdom, his kingdom, his righteousness takes everything that we have. Jesus said, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. This takes it all. We have to pour it all in. Now, I'm an engineer, and as an engineer, I like to calculate number. Oh, by the way, yeah, let, let me, I'll make a comment why I had this little thing. When Solomon was a young, tender boy like my son Alex who wrote that, that's wisdom right there. That's the beginning of wisdom. God created us and animals and water, Alex says, and plants, and sun, and moon, and earth, and grass, and fish, and he made everything. That's wisdom. That's the beginning of it. 
And if you walk away from loving that, you end up where Solomon did. You take the things of the world and you exchange it for the truth that was laid before us as a tender child his dad did this for him. But go on to the next slide. I, I want to close here because I'm, I'm an engineer, like I said, and I like to do numbers. And I said, we've got to t- learn to number our days. So I said, well, let me look at my numbers. I'm Joel Butler. That's a picture of me when I was a little teeny kid. I don't have, didn't have the beard then. <laughs> anyway, I was a tender young child, like, like Solomon just said. The average age in the U.S. is 78.74 years. My age, 41.58 years. Years remaining, 37.16 years on average. Months remaining, 445.92 months. Days remaining, 13,563.4 days. And oh, by the way, if we look as Moses did at the number of God hours, a thousand years like one day, Joel, you've got 0.89 God hours left to live. I know God knows my numbers. He actually does know these numbers. These are based on averages, right? He knows exactly every one of our numbers. And Moses says, so Lord, we know we rise up like grass, green, and then we wither away in the evening. So teach us to number our days that we may then present before you a heart, a heart that has learned wisdom to live life with skill the way you want us to live. So I'll close with, with some prayer on this. Lord, I just uh, thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you've given us your son. You've revealed us your truth. You've given us your spirit. But you expect us to want to go out and seek your ways, to learn your ways, to find wisdom, to love your skill for life, Lord. For we know there's a way that seems right unto a man, but it leads to death. But your ways lead to righteousness, justice, equity, and they guard our paths. May we not wander astray. May we realize that today as believers, just like Solomon was raised in a, great, in a good house, and he knew you and had great encounters with you, he got to see your presence in the temple. And yet when he took his eye off of this, when he took his eye off of this call, It led him down a tragic road. So, Lord, may I make the most of my last 37 on average years or my .89 God hours. May I look back when I get to see you face to face. And I I don't want to look back with regret, but look back being content that I made it. I did it. I finished the things that you put before me. I finished the race that you gave me. And I did it with everything I had. Lord, I know right now I can think of plenty of areas that I need work on. So I don't say this by any means as if I've arrived. But yet may we press forward in this life so we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We ask these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.